0: Welcome to the Social Media Marketing
1: Podcast, helping you navigate the social media jungle. And now, here's your host, Michael Stelsner. Hello, hello, hello.
0: Thank you for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I am your host, Michael Stelsner, and this is the podcast for marketers and business owners who wanna know what works with social media. I'm very excited about today's show. Today, I'm going to be joined by Michael Hyatt, and by Chris Brogan. And together, we're going to explore how podcasting can help your business. And we're going to share success tips from these very successful podcasters. And, you know, as we are starting 2014, it's really oftentimes a time for us to experiment and try new things for our marketing. And it's my hope that by listening to today's show, you might be inspired to start a podcast. And if you already have a podcast, you're the host of a podcast, you will definitely pick up a ton of new ideas from these seasoned pros. By the way, this interview that you're about to hear is from a panel discussion that I did at our social media success summit. Did you know that we can deliver awesome marketing info directly into your inbox? Simply subscribe to our weekly newsletter that comes out three days a week. You won't miss any of the updates going on in the world of social marketing. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates. Let's transition over to that interview right now. To help simplify your social safari,
1: here's this week's special guest.
2: So what I really want to focus on today is how can a podcast impact your business? And what I mean by that is, how can you use this predominantly audio platform to, to accomplish what your business objectives are? And in the case of Chris Brogan and Michael Hyatt and myself, um, we all had established businesses in place uh, before we started the podcast. So let me open up with this question, and Michael, I'm going to shoot this over to you first. How has podcasting helped your business? Well, I think a couple ways, Mike. Um,
3: one of the most obvious ones is that it's increased my reach. You know, I'm, I'm getting now about as many podcast downloads on a monthly basis as I was getting unique visitors on my, my blog. So that's amazing to me, you know, that it's essentially doubled my audience. But I'm sure there's a lot of overlap. I don't know how much it is. I haven't done a survey or tried to figure out how to, to do that. I, I think it's a different uh, Kind of follower on the podcast than a reader. I mean, at least that's what I hear anecdotally from from the people that follow my podcast. People say to me, "Well, I never read your blog, but now that you've got a podcast, I can connect with you." But I think even bigger than that, it's really created this opportunity for engagement and connection at a deeper level because podcasting really does uh, engage people at more intimate times. You know, to to and my friend. Uh, Cliff Ravenscraft really pointed this out to me and encouraged me when I was thinking about podcasting is that when you 've got some you 've got your earbuds in your ear and some podcaster talking to you in that space that 's pretty intimate and i 've seen that connection benefit my business. I think it 's really translated into uh, more subscriptions, more conversions, ultimately more business so that 's a good thing
2: Chris, how about you
1: well, with the whole uh... It's really funny in a lot of ways because I I got into podcasting about 2005, and it was not the leading bleeding edge at that point. It was, but it was still pretty early, and you know, their podcast had been around a year or so. And when I got into it, I I just thought, "Gee whiz, this is fun!" You know, this is really kind of cool. And so then I started an event called PodCamp with Christopher Penn, and we had all kinds of events about. Um, You know, really so much could be done with this. And then a year or so into this, like towards mid 2007, 2008 or so, one thing that happened was that the mainstream came in really, really heavily and started using podcasting as a way to kind of archive and distribute a lot of their mainstream product. And sort of the independent people in lots of ways got pushed to the edges. Uh, places like the iTunes store, for instance, uh, you know, were doing a lot more to highlight these mainstream names as well. They should. Uh, and also, it just still wasn't especially easy uh, to, to actually consume the product. So you, you sort of had to be a techno nerd to actually even listen to the podcast. So it wasn't really a great time for it. Uh, so, a year or so ago, I decided to jump back in again, I started The Human Business Way and just started jamming out shows and I agree with Michael a great deal. I think that one of the number one things it does for my business is it puts another warm layer on it, which allows people to have that sense of intimacy. I spend a lot of extra effort making sure that people know it's one-to-one. I never say you guys, I never you know, have any kind of a plurality in mentioning the show. Because near as I know, I'm always only in one set of ears at a time. I, you know, people don't have Chris Brogan listening parties uh, as much as I wish they did. So I do a lot to make sure that it's a very intimate, very personal experience. And I spend a lot of every episode making sure people realize that they're where they belong. And I, I find that, you know, even just kind of an even as, as anecdotal as that all sounds, as, as sort of uh, soft, skilly as that sounds, Uh, just like Michael said, the audio product has brought a lot more ears uh, to me. And then has gotten me a lot more attention to then show people other stuff that I'm doing.
2: You know, for me, um, uh, I've been at this, I'm the newest dude on the block amongst the three of us when it comes to podcasting. And one of the really amazing things that I found is that it's, it's, it's drawn people to me as the person behind the brand. Mm. And, um, When I go to trade shows, it used to be, I love Social Media Examiner, but now it's, I love your podcast. And um, if you really think about it, the fact is, I have a 40-minute podcast, and I, I do it once a week. And the idea of someone going to my website for an average of maybe two or three minutes, which is what Google Analytics tells me, versus listening to my podcast for 20 to 30 to 40 minutes on a weekly basis uh, and I think it harkens back to what Michael Hyatt said. Um, this is a way to grow a following that is not only relatively large, in my case, not as big as the Social Media Examiner following, but I think almost more important because these are my most loyal fans. Michael, have you found this to be the case as well, that the uh, that the level of, of when people come around you and they listen to your podcast, it's as if they've known you forever, right? It really is true. And when I'm
3: at On the Road Speaking, you know That's the number one thing people say to me. They used to say to me, gosh, I've read your blog for years, and I still get that, of course, but but I more often than not now get people who say to me, man, I love your podcast or I listen to your podcast or whatever, but it's always a reference to the podcast, and it feels like there was a tipping point that after I got into maybe about six months that that shift occurred, and that's the most common thing I hear now.
2: Now, Chris, how about you? I mean, you have always been a personality um, in the social media world. Did you find any kind of difference when the podcast came out as far as the perception that people had of you versus your writing versus your speaking. I'd love to hear a little bit more about that.
1: One of the elements that people say to me a lot, uh, either if they see me live on stage or if they listen to the podcast versus any of my texts, is they're like, wow, I, I really didn't realize you had a sense of humor. I didn't realize you were funny, which really hurts my feelings because I'm thinking, wow, I think I'm a funny guy all the time. But evidently when I write, it must get filtered out or something. And so uh, I would say that one of the things that I get out of that experience is that. Uh, but furthermore, I, you know, podcasting. So Mary Meeker from Kleiner Perkins Caulfield Buyer said that their people had about 52 unclaimed minutes of time that they were looking to spend in, you know, while traveling, for instance, in the car. And she was saying that they're not interested as much in terrestrial radio anymore, and they're not even that interested in satellite radio. Mostly beyond Howard Stern, there's not anything going on on satellite, uh, give or take the occasional uh, surprise event. Um, and so podcasting has really you know, delivered this thing that we all like, which is on-demand entertainment, plus the opportunity to you know, really connect with the very specific kind of information that we want. I mean there are 10 gazillion business podcasts out there and similar for health and all that. And once you find the person that you're kind of into, once you find the sort of reaction you want, and you know, once you hear the first few opening bars of this is your life, you know, there's just a lot of you know, connectivity that can happen there. And so I think it's just a, a, an amazing medium for that, to get the real opportunity to uh, really dial into the kind of person you hope to build a community around.
2: Chris, let's talk about frequency because, um, um, you've had some times where you've gone without a show, and do you find that um, people are emailing you saying what's going on?
1: <laughs> yes, and, and you know what? So I, I'm uh, I'm cool in a way. I, I would say that what I've been doing a little bit is I've been testing some things. So I was putting it out weekly, then I put it out many more times in a week, you know, like four, five, six episodes in a week, uh, and then I've gone spans of weeks now without a show. And partly I'm also lingering because I told everyone I'd close the show at 100 And though that is technically true, I'm on episode 99.3. So, uh, we had several point releases, um, and I'm doing it, you know, I'm, I'm doing it not to hurt anything to do with my relationship with the community that chooses to listen to me, but I am most definitely doing it to test as a marketer, you know, uh, flexibility, expansion, you know, depth, what, what's anybody looking to, uh, to achieve in this kind of experience. And, uh, Partly, it's just kind of fun to uh, hold off because you know when I get ready to make the jump to the new show format that I have, it'll be a little bit more work. My format has really served me well. This new format, I'm sure, will work nicely. But it's it's kind of like going from being the corner desk local newscaster, uh, sportscaster, say, to running ESPN Sports Center. I mean, there's just going to be a lot more uh, articulation to it. So I think that frequency. I've never yet found anybody who's uh, who's been able to argue with numbers that the more frequency, uh, the less subscriptions. Everyone gets tons more subscriptions the more frequency you have.
2: Michael, I'd love to hear a little bit about what your frequency is of your podcast and any tips or lessons you've learned along the way.
1: Well, my podcast
3: is weekly, and I try to be really faithful um, to deliver it on Wednesday morning because I hear from people that they count on that for their run on Wednesday morning or whatever. And it may be anecdotal; maybe there's you know ten percent of the audience, but but for me, it works best when I follow a content schedule. Now, there've been times like this summer when I was off in the mountains writing my book for a month that I sort of ran the greatest hits during that month, and.
2: Did, so that why work? Is it, the, did that work? We should elaborate on what you did there, just so people can...
3: Yeah, it was, it, was kind of, um, it was kind of funny, because I didn't take really any traffic hit, maybe about a 10% traffic hit. I introduced it. I recorded it almost like bumpers on the front end of it before I left, and I just said, look, this is an encore episode of This Is Your Life, and you know, I just basically went back and, and picked out the ones that had uh, received the most downloads the most traffic, and I reposted those with that brief introduction. And it, you know, it worked great. I mean, the truth is, I'm going to have to do that in the future, um, periodically. So but I think Talk it, about why
2: did you do that, just if you wouldn't mind explaining that.
3: Well, I, I did that because, and you, you know, I've had this conversation offline before, but I was spending so much time in producing um, my show, and I've greatly reduced that now. But I was producing, even this summer, I was spending a lot of time on it. And I just didn't have the time before I left to get four shows in the can while I was going to be gone. So I just thought, you know, television does reruns in the summer, and Oprah does reruns occasionally, so, you know, I'm going to do reruns. I think that's a, that's a good practice. And one of the things that I found, and you see this when you repost blog content, too, is that there are people who are tuned in now that weren't tuned in when the original programming came out, and they like it. And so it's it's a chance to, to reach an audience that may have missed it the first time um, around. But... By and large, I try to follow what Tim Ferriss talks about when he talks about the minimum effective dose. I think that's true in blogging. I think it's true in podcasting. I want the right amount of content based on my audience's perception of what's the right amount. I don't want to overload them. And I know there are a lot of daily podcasts out there, and frankly, it's hard to compete against those in the business category, the ones that are daily, because they get so much velocity and so much altitude but there's not very many people, and in my case, like none
2: that I want to hear from daily, yeah, and you know I will uh, i mean i'm I'm kind of like you, uh, I have a weekly show, and i've been fortunate enough to not miss a week, but i've gotten really close, <laughs> and uh you know some of the things that I thought about doing when I was going to miss a week was to um you know do some of my stage perform you know my state my my presentations I've given on stage that were recording and possibly just putting those up there, but I but I ended up never doing that. One thing that I did do, which I haven't seen a lot of people do, was um, occasionally I come out with a special podcast for a limited amount of time. So, for example, um, if I'm promoting something, um, I might have a special podcast that I come out with in addition to my normal podcast, and I let everyone know that that podcast will only be available for one week, and then I will remove it. And this is something i 've never seen done before. Uh, well, actually, I have seen a few podcasts that only some of the really big traditional media podcasts um have like only one show at a time, and then it 's gone, and you have to listen to it. So I experimented with this, and I had a pretty significant number of people that did listen to that podcast and then I just basically pulled the files and it was gone and um That was a little experiment that I did, but i 'm not sure i 'll do it again, but sometimes if you have something special going on it might make sense to do that. And I think we've seen some of our friends do this with the podcast awards where they'll come out with a special podcast that says, please nominate me and so on and so forth. But I think the take-home message that I hear from everyone on this call is that um, you have to figure out what your audience expects. And, Chris, just real quick, in your case, have you, have you found a formula that works for your audience? Is it once a week that they can keep up with, or is it you found even if you're doing two or three weeks, week, it still seems they keep up with you?
1: You know, I have found that there is a certain elasticity to the attention of my community, and they're willing to take two or three or four shows a week. Because what also happens is my shows, at least in the old format, were 20 minutes or so. And so you can load a couple of those for your jog or whatever. So that's the other thing I've I've really enjoyed is that with the brevity allows an opportunity to have multiple episodes uh, be aired, and then people kind of respond to that. And uh, partly what I love is that, you know, in this kind of ADD theater of ours, uh, you know, by me saying my show is 20-ish minutes, people are like, oh, I can get, I can get through a bunch of those. It's like it's like candy. Uh, and so by offering sort of a tapas version of, of content, uh, then I also get around people's uh, willingness to commit problem. So um, I find that they'll, they'll eat as much as I give them uh, within reason. I, I haven't really tested the upper limits of that and put like 40 episodes out in a week, but you know, maybe I'll do that on a quiet day in January.
2: Yeah, one thing to keep in mind that a lot of people don't realize, especially for the the, the 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 Apple listeners that have um, you know, iPhones, is that the I uh the podcast app automatically unsubscribes someone if they have not listened to the last five episodes. And um if you are a podcaster and you're thinking about increasing your frequency and you tend to have longer shows, you could potentially be in a position where the app will automatically unsubscribe them and they won't even realize it. And I've had this happen where I've been backlogged and I, w- I haven't been able to do it. And that could be one of the downsides to maybe having too many podcasts in a short period of time that a lot of people may not be familiar with. Uh, my next question is for you, Michael, um, and for you, Chris. How do you actually advertise and promote whatever it is you're offering with your podcast? What have you tried? What works? I'd love to hear your insight, Michael.
3: Yeah. I, you know, when I first started, I would do the ads on the front end kind of under the uh, rubric of I want to get people where there's the maximum number of people listening, and so I want to make sure that I connect. I had somebody in my audience who was gracious enough to suggest to me that, you know, you might want to give before you expect to receive, <laughs> and and uh, besides that, just as a practical matter, you know, you don't really have the trust, at least with new listeners, And so this person said to me, she said, you know, I would like to refer your podcast to others, but for people that don't know you, they're not going to listen to the commercial announcements before they get to the juice. Mm -hmm. So what I do now, and this has worked pretty well, I haven't had any complaints and, you know, it feels right to me is I have almost kind of like an uh, NPR kind of announcement on the front end, you know, this podcast is sponsored by, and then I might just have a little uh, teaser bit of copy there and then a link. But I get past that pretty quickly. I mean, it's like maybe 15 seconds. And then at the end of it, uh, after I've done the content, after, and in my particular show, I do a Q&A uh, with my listeners as they leave voicemail questions, and then I respond to those. But when I get done with that, then I say I'll be back with a few announcements. And then those few announcements for me are typically uh, two ads and then the third one is an announcement of what the topic is going to be for the next week in case, in case people want to leave questions related to that. But that seems about right. You know, there have been times when i thought maybe that's, that's too much. Um, I definitely know I can't go more than that. Um, all of my ads are for my own products or in a few select cases, affiliate products, but I don't do any third-party advertising simply because I have too many products of my own that I want to get visibility for. And plus, it just feels more organic to who I am and you know, I believe in what I've produced. And so then it's just natural for me to want to promote it.
2: And Chris, I'm not sure I've heard you advertise or promote very much on your podcast. Do you do that?
1: I haven't on the human business way. Um, I didn't even make it open for uh, that opportunity and the new podcast owner, uh, there will be that opportunity. I, you know, it's not for any negative reasons. I just hadn't bothered to uh, do that. And, um, the first time I actually reached out to do it, I talked to a a much very traditional agency who wanted to place an ad and they were, it just drove me insane. They just, they wanted all the old standard radio type CPM type, uh, metrics and all that. And I was very willing to give them to them, but I was saying, you know what, It's, it's a little bit more special than that. What I sort of felt like at the end of the day was, um, they were looking for uh, sex and I wanted a relationship. And so I kind of didn't push that one through. So, you know, I think, I think there's a great opportunity for advertising in these mediums. Um, but then very similar to what Michael said, though, I mean, even in my newsletter, I started uh, doing some advertising in my, my newsletter and I've, I've received quite a bit of pushback as to sort of placement. You know, if I do if the placement's too early, then everyone says, I feel like you barely said hi and now you're, ch- you're trying to sell something. If the placement is in this, you know, dispersed amongst the the issue, then they tell me, oh, well, that's you know, messing up my train of thought, and I'm thinking, you know, I don't know, do you guys buy magazines ever? Because my magazines do not wait to the very end, and you know, everybody knows that the crap ads are the one at the end, so, uh, you know, I just advertising is a really strange place and I'm really still kind of debating how I want to make that happen. And what I may or may not do is just do, you know, much more in-depth content marketing and a little less, uh, interruptive advertising, which will cost a little more for the person looking to, you know, build that relationship, but it'll be a lot tighter fit. I suspect.
2: What about promoting your own stuff, Chris, in your podcast? Oh,
1: I've done that a little bit. I, I've seen almost no uplift on that. I've seen it's really hard to get people from the I'm out jogging on a trail somewhere to I think I will go make an action happen later. Um, I've done a lot of work to nurture that. Like I really, really push every single episode I beg for people to send me an email or something. So I get them a little closer to my evil clutches but uh, it's just not as likely that they're going to take a, a sales action in this podcast. So I've, I've kind of written that off, but I'm sure other people are having better opportunity for that kind of cost per action effort.
2: Michael, do you have any insight? Have you been able to get action um, or have people gone from listening to your podcast and coming to your conferences as a result of you mentioning them in the podcast?
3: Well, yes, but I, I would say that that even if I didn't, for me, I realized that I need visibility numbers of impressions for, for somebody to buy a high-ticket item, and our conferences are, are pretty expensive. You know, They're like 1500 to $2,000. So it's a, it's a more complex decision, and I just want to get exposure for it. I want to be able for them to hear me in my voice talk about why I think it's important because I'm really passionate about it. I know these are life-changing, transformative events, and I want people there. And I don't think I can always do that with just sales copy in a way that's compelling enough. Uh, to make the sale happen. So I like being able to talk about it on the podcast.
2: I'll I'll share some of what I've experienced. Um, First of all, what a lot of people may not know is that if you um, go ahead and activate your podcast on Stitcher Radio, so if you have a podcast that's on Stitcher and you log in, Stitcher will actually tell you the average listening time per episode, which most people have no clue and you'll be shocked to see what it is because my podcasts are about forty minutes and I know that most of according to Stitcher, most of the listening time is, you know, around twenty to twenty five minutes. Now it may very well be because Stitcher's, you know, um at least pushing the car thing that it may be that's about what the average commute time is. But you can't get that kind of insight from your typical analytics that we use as podcasters. So if indeed it is true, that most of these podcast listeners stop listening after 20 minutes, regardless of how good your show is, then it probably means that they would love to listen, but they just don't because they're done with whatever they were doing, like r- driving or whatever. So I do think there is some legitimacy to making sure that you do put your your promotion for whatever it is you have to offer um, somewhere in that first 20 minutes. And in m- my particular case, I I agree with Michael Um, I believe you need to give a little value before you give a little pitch. And um, I usually have a tip or a caller question or a unique find that I offer before I ever mention anything else. And I've just found that the take-up is much better. But to what Chris said, it's true that podcasting is a very passive medium, meaning most people that are listening to podcasting are doing something else. So the likelihood that they will stop what they're doing and take action is not very strong so um, the good news about podcasting is you can repeat the message over and over and over again in a different way to what Michael Hyatt was saying so in the case of um, Social Media Examiner we're typically promoting our our Social Media Marketing World Conference and what I try to do is have a little something different every single week like for example week one it might be an audio clip from someone attended week two it might be one of four or five audio ads that we had created Um, week three, it might be me adding a little commentary about a unique spinner angle on it. And I just know by, by, by switching that up every single week, um, it's always top of mind. And eventually some people that listen are going to buy, and I found it to be extremely effective. Um, but you know, one thing you should take home to what you're hearing here is we all have different audiences and different styles and different strategies, and it's got to work within, um, your strategy. One of the questions um, that came in, uh, and Michael, I'm going to throw this one over to you from Beatrix, um, is how do you create your content plan? I guess said another way, how do you decide what to podcast about?
3: Yeah, this is
2: um, kind of my dirty little
3: secret, but for me, everything starts as a blog post. I don't care if it's a book, a speech, a podcast, a seminar. You know, the, the, the lab in which I kind of prove the concept and make sure that that I know what I'm talking about or want to talk about is on my blog. So what I do now, my content plan, is that when I write a blog post, I say to myself, could this be a podcast? And if the answer to that is yes, then I have a special special file that I put that into. So right now I've got 100 blog posts that I've written in the past that I eventually want to do podcasts on. So it goes to the back of the bus. So it won't be a podcast you know, for a couple of years unless I decide that it's more timely than that. It needs to be something... A bit sooner, but so it starts out as a um, as, as a blog post. The nice thing about that is it keeps me from having to reinvent the wheel when it comes time to podcast. I'm pulling out something that I've written on previously. I've usually got a ton of comments on it, and I see where maybe the content was weak or I needed to answer a question that wasn't addressed in the post, and so I can address that in the podcast. So it enhances it and takes it to another level. Level, but it's very rare for me. I'm, I'm actually doing a mini-series right now with my wife called uh, help a married to an entrepreneur and uh, we're doing that as a three-part podcast that's going to start tomorrow but that's the only time in recent memory that i've done something that started as a podcast not as a blog post
2: chris how do you decide what you're going to uh, how do you uh, l- let's go back how did you decide who you were going to interview for your show
1: yeah I mean, with the human business way because it's strictly an interview show, um, I do two whole things i i I make sure that I give access to people in the business world that my community might not normally have access to. Uh, people like Tony Hawk or, you know, Mark Echo and some of these kinds of interesting uh, outlier people. And then the second thing I do is I interview my community as much as I can. Uh, it's this concept of Manchu, one family. And the idea being that if I can really shower love down on the community that I serve, then of course, they're going to really feel like I'm providing the coverage of that space. And uh, I think that there's a real missing opportunity in in when we do our business that we don't, enough of our time focused on the audience and we're spending too much time focused on our stage, and so I'm trying really hard to uh, make sure that my community uh, gets the microphone as many times as often as they get the uh, opportunity to listen in.
2: In my case, I have a really interesting strategy. I, I look for two different kinds of... I have an interview show also, and I have... I look for two different kinds of people. I look for people that have an extreme story like Mark Malkoff, who was carried all the way across New York City in a comedy stunt or lived in a, um, uh, on an airplane for a month, you know, as it was flying around the world, and, and how they did what they did and how social played into it. Or I look for extreme knowledge, in the case of, for example, Michael Hyatt and Chris Brogan, who have both been on my podcast. And I don't just pick anybody. I, and I also, if somebody is, is making the circuits across all the podcasts, I don't necessarily want them today. I want them like 60 days after that's over with. <laughs> and what I try to do is I try to be strategic and use my podcast as an opportunity to develop a relationship with the person that I'm actually interviewing. And I know, Chris, you can probably speak this, too. Isn't it true that when you get a chance to interview people, you really get to know them?
1: Oh, yeah. I think it's, it you get towards a, a certain level of intimacy, sometimes quite surprisingly so. I mean, uh, I, I had a chance to uh, interview John Morgan, uh, author of uh, the Brand Against the Machine and other stuff. And we went into this incredible conversation about depression. That's still one of my most listened to interviews ever. And I really just came away feeling like I really knew a ton about him. And I love that feeling.
2: So, you know, the good news about uh, when you do have interviews and you're really authentic and you're really getting to, to things that, that the person is passionate about is it's a great way to build a relationship with somebody. And, um, you know, in the end, um, those of us that have businesses understand the value of relationships. It's it's really key to everything. Um, let's see here. Chris, I've got a question for you. You do this little secret thing at the end of your podcast. Um <laughs> Can you describe what that is and and, and why you do it? And I believe it has something to do with trying to get people to interact with you, but can you elaborate a little bit on that?
1: Yeah, it's the best least kept secret that I have, which is at the very end of my podcast, like once the credits roll and the music finally fades, uh, I wait about five or so seconds and then I start again. And in that section, I usually call out all kinds of people by name. I make sure that people know that they're very cared for and loved. And, you know, I'll say, you know, hey, Levon, how is that walk going? And you know, how's things going, DJ? And I, I name as many people as I can. I'm like Miss Molly on romper room. And the uh, mindset there is one: you know, we of course respond to attention; it's a nice thing to have. And two, uh, it is trying to prompt for a response. And I get great, great responses from people. Uh, and sometimes just you know, vast you know storylines in my inbox that suddenly gives me a lot more opportunity. So I think that. Uh, the other thing that I like about it is that if you're really kind of impatient, if you're the kind of person that's just consuming next, 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 you'll skip that part. And that further qualifies the kind of person I want to know, because I want the person that kind of really wants to marinate in the experience, not the person that's kind of rushing past.
2: And you know what else Chris does, which is great is he actually sends them to a secret group where they can all kind of connect and interact with each other, which I think is brilliant. It's brilliant. And you've got a lot of people in there, right, Chris?
1: I do uh you know, I just took a look at it the other day. I was really surprised because it's it's coming right close to uh i think four thousand people I'm saying this like as slow motion as I can so I can push the button thirty five forty two uh, with nine people waiting to join right now and so um it, it's really interesting because not only has it been really fun for me, but what also has happened in this experience is that people uh in the community came to me and said. Hey, I know it's probably hard with, you know, this many people. Can we volunteer to be, um, moderators? Yeah. And I was like, what? Like I wouldn't never in a million years want to have, you know, volunteer to do something like that. And so it just kind of strikes me as, uh, funny and beautiful. And so I'm thrilled that, you know, people care about it so much.
2: Michael, what do you do to, and I know you have little things that you do in your podcast that kind of encourage people to act. Can you, share a little bit about what you do?
3: Well, I do uh, get them to act, and I do, I do have, for example, show notes for each episode, and I encourage people that if they want the show notes, that, you know, they can get them, and, and I keep a very simple um, way that I name the URLs. You know, it's michaelhyatt.com slash 68 for episode 68, for example. But one of the things that I, I do there is that I have the complete transcript, so every single episode is transcribed, uh, before it goes up, and there are a lot of people that just say, you know, I just don't have the time or I don't have the patience or whatever, but I love the fact that you provide the transcripts, or maybe I'm, um, I'm deaf and this provides an opportunity for me to participate in it, so that's great. But then I ask people to comment back there, so I always end with a question and I ask people to come back to the podcast or to the show notes and uh, participate in the community there. And probably the best tip was the one you gave me, Mike, and you suggested that I do the uh, slash love thing on the end of my URL, which serves up a, a pre-populated tweet so that people can uh, let their audiences know that they've just listened to that episode. So that's, that's been great, too.
2: Yeah, and, you know, what Michael does really well is, he, you know, he's teaching like a lesson in each one of his podcasts, and then at the end he throws the question over to the listener, and then he tells them where to go to actually leave their response. And I, I love that because it's a pretty clear call to action and just to elaborate on what Michael was talking about with this love thing, I call it a verbal tweet. So for example, if you go to socialmediaexaminer.com slash love right now, it'll pre-populate a tweet into your Twitter stream that says something along the lines of you recommend the social media marketing podcast and it's got my Twitter ID in this. And um, this is a small, small thing, you know, and it's very easy for someone who's mobile to do because generally they already have Twitter on their phone. And it's just kind of nice, immediate feedback for those of us that are podcasters to know that there are people out there that are listening and that are willing to recommend us to a friend. And it's something worth experimenting with for sure. And I can I can tell you that that's the kind of feedback that's pretty rewarding. Don't you agree, Michael, when you see all those tweets coming in?
3: Oh, absolutely.
2: I mean, I love that. I love the participation of the community, the enthusiasm of the
3: community. And, you know, as a content producer, that really motivates me. You know, one of the things, I come from the world of book publishing, And the world of uh, book publishing works like, you know, you you decide you're going to publish a book, and it's months before it comes out as an author. It's months, sometimes years, before you get any feedback. And that's one of the things about podcasting and and blogging is that the response is so immediate.
2: Chris, um, we've got a question here from Stephanie, and she asks, is there any way to test whether my audience is going to be able to respond to my podcast without making a long-term commitment? What are your thoughts on that?
1: uh i don't exactly understand i think if she's saying is there any way to know if my podcast will be a success before i do it yeah um i have a a really good answer to that no um it's it's pretty darn good to know that you cannot jump in the water before you jump in the water you have to try um now that isn't to say when you say a long-term commitment uh you know one way I might do it is I might use, you know, not a podcasting platform just yet. I might not grab on iTunes. I might not, I might just make some audio on something easy, like SoundCloud or Audioboo and see if anyone even cares to see if anyone likes your voice. You know, there's a lot of ways you can kind of like, kick some tires on just the whole concept of creating audio content you know i'll tell you when i started producing a video show uh it was very short-lived because i thought it was going to be great i bought some high-def cameras i've got some awesome expensive led lights that do nothing but light up my house sometimes at night when i'm bored uh and it was just a lot of poop to make a really good video production and there's other people doing it better so uh, I'm not exactly Jack Welch about this. I don't need to be number one or number two in my class, but I also know that uh, sitting around doing crap tons of video editing ended up not being nearly as fun as doing uh, quick cuts in GarageBand. So, yeah, use Audioboo, use uh, SoundCloud, and get out there. But, no, you have to try and fail a lot more if you want to succeed faster.
2: Michael. Did you have anything to add? No, I just said well said. I agreed with what Chris said. Michael, Valerie asks, if you don't have a very large audience on your blog, can you really build an audience with podcasts? What are your thoughts?
3: Yeah, I, I think it goes back to how you define success, and I think it's really easy in the social media space to define it based on the numbers that are listening, but more and more I'm realizing that it's not about that at all. You know, it's, it's great to have big numbers, but it doesn't always translate into uh, interest and into conversion and interest and into sales. And I've recently become acquainted with some people that don't have that large of platforms, but they've got very engaged platforms and they've been successful as a result of that. So I would say give it a try. You know, to Chris's point, uh, you know, you've got to try more, you know, if you're going to succeed and you've got to be willing to fail. And, you know, you may find that uh, an audience on audio actually receives you better and is, feels more connected to you than than one in a written context
2: you know one thing that all three of us share in common is we have a pretty big blog platform and we had a pretty big blog platform before we started podcasting but there is an entirely different world of podcasters that have massive audiences and have almost no blog at all and chris you probably saw tons of those in your early days didn't you
1: Oh, yeah. And I mean, there's still things like that out there. I mean, oh my gosh, when you look at the top YouTubers and all that, which turn out to be mostly game guys who like to do video things on games, it's amazing uh, how vast these communities are. The number one Vine user, Nicholas Magalis, uh, he doesn't have a blog. And and I know why, because I don't think he can actually connect two sentences uh, unless it's in a song, because he's just so, like his brain works so fast. And so in my mind, you know, there's a lot of those people out there who have like, you know, who might have a huge podcast audience who have nothing going on for blog. And you know, when I heard that question come to Michael, the other thought I had was, is, well, you know, have you even figured out why you don't have much of an audience on your blog? It's not because there's too many bloggers. I'll give you that hint. It's because you haven't necessarily dialed in you know, to the community that needs you. Uh, that's probably a good first step before you try to jump to another platform and see if that's a better fit.
2: I'll throw in my thoughts here, too. There are um, listeners, and there are readers, and there are talkers, and there are writers. And I think you have to figure out what you are. Um, Some people are really great at talking, but they're overly critical when it comes to writing. And um, some of us are on this call. (laughs) Yours truly. (laughs) Um, And, you know, if you're a decent talker, then, you know, why not just go for it? Um, And... You know, one of the things that I learned about podcasting is there's a lot of people like me who actually do not enjoy reading nearly as much as we enjoy listening. So the good news is there's a lot of opportunities out there. Um, Mona is asking this question: What's the mechanics behind the love thing? And I'm just going to answer that real quick and then go back to a question with you for you guys. Um, if you go to clicktotweet.com, you can create any tweet you want, and they'll give you a little URL. And then all you have to do is um, have that URL be set up on your blog. For example, if you're on WordPress, you can use Pretty Links and just have a, a, a link created like your slash love automatically forwards to the Pretty Link, and that's how you do it. Um, let's talk about how much work you put into your show. Um, Michael, let's start with you because I know you've been struggling with this lately. Can you share a little bit about what you've learned and, and what kind of work you put into creating your show?
3: Yeah, you know, I'm a, like a chronic uh, over-preparer and a, a recovering over-prepare. And so for me, what, what happened initially when I started, it was taking, two, I'm, I'm embarrassed to say this, but it was taking two full days a week for me to produce my podcast. Wow. That was pre-production, the production, and then the post-production. And so I was doing all the audio editing, and you know I, I didn't have a lot of experience at that, so I was having to learn that software, and the whole thing was just a huge learning experience. And like most things I get into that end up mattering, you know, it, it ends up being a lot more work than I thought initially. Otherwise, I wouldn't have gotten into it. So then, I guess last spring, I decided that I was going to hire a producer to do all the post-production. So that was great. So then all I had to do was the prep, then I recorded it, then I uploaded to Dropbox my audio files, and he took it from there. But it was still too much. Then it was still taking me a full day per episode. And I said, you know, this, this sucks. I cannot continue this. It's not sustainable and for me to be able to do whatever else I want to do. So I said, I've got to get this down uh, under two hours. And so I solicited some people that I really respect, including you, Mike, getting some response back on what I could do. Should I just quit? I mean, I really considered that. You know, it's maybe one of those things I just don't need to be doing. And so I came back with the idea of just doing it with much less preparation, just an outline and just kind of unplugged and unstructured. And that's what I'm doing now. And the funny thing about it was, I surveyed my audience, and I said, okay, I'm, I'm going unstructured. You know, you just listened to that the, an example of that. So what do you think? Well, most of the people said that they preferred the new unstructured format over the previous one, so all that effort I was expending wasn't accomplishing anything in terms of impact. The other people said, um, I couldn't tell any difference. I mean, nobody complained. So it was either they liked it better or they couldn't tell any difference. But the big takeaway for me was, I was wasted a huge amount of time on something that ultimately to my audience didn't matter. So now I'm spending probably an hour and a half to two hours per episode, the whole thing, everything from front to back.
2: Is that less than it takes you to write a blog post? Uh, it's a little more. I can normally write a blog post at about an hour. Gotcha. Chris, how about you? How long does it, how long does it take you to do your shows when you're doing these interview shows?
1: Um, So there's two parts. When I do the interview with somebody, it's usually about 20 minutes or so of just hitting, you know, record and going for it. And that's, you know, that's just beautiful time for me because all it requires is a bit of upfront prep so that I actually have a sense of what the person is doing. And then what little level of expertise I have is in making it really flow, and that's that's my one magical trick is that I never make it seem like there's you know canned questions. I never have canned questions to be truthful, um, and then I can get that sort of done then you know the actual process of putting it all together, I do my own post production, so that is I record about ten seconds, the little credits go, I record just under a minute kind of prepping the show, uh, push the little uh, audio interview in take out a few ums and ahs, uh, usually my guests, uh, to my guest advantage, I'll leave mine in. Cause I think it's funny to hear how bad I get. And then, um, I'll wrap it up and then do the ending thing. So, I mean, it's, I've got it down to like, I could probably put out two or three shows an hour if I, if I have the interviews already cooked up. And so that's all solo. I don't have a person for that, but that's, you know, it, it just came from a, a sort of mindset and a model. And, and what Michael said is absolutely true. Uh, you don't get a lot of extra points for all your extra prep work. And, you know, as long as I'm putting out something that feels quality and that the, the payload of the interview is as good as what they need, then, you know, if there's a, i I'd rather use that time to help off the uh, solo. I just had a high school librarian ask me if I could do a Skype interview for her blog. And so I'm able to say yes, because it doesn't take me all day to make a podcast.
2: Outstanding. In the last few seconds here, if you could just give a quick response. Michael, what do you want to say to someone who's not sure whether they should do podcasting?
3: I'd say go for it. You know, try it. You know, I'm very experimental in everything I try. And I just, I like trying things because you never know. Usually the things that I think won't work do and the things that I think won't work or the things that I think will work don't. So you never know until you get out there and try it. And Chris, what do you want
1: to say? fail the hell all over the place. Fail, 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 and then you will succeed. That's, I mean, that's what we all just told you. So just fail a lot and then you'll have an incredible show.
2: Well, folks, and I want to reiterate this. um, You just got to go for it. It's been one of the most rewarding things I've ever done in my life. More rewarding than everything that I've ever done combined. And I don't say that lightly. So uh, give it a shot. Thank you, Michael Hyatt. Thank you, Chris Brogan. And thank you, everyone who's been listening. It's been awesome.
1: Here's a word from
0: our tour guide. Well, that does bring us to the end of today's podcast. Again, uh, if you missed anything that we talked about in today's show, show notes can be found at socialmediaexaminer.com slash 74. And I really do hope that you will consider getting into podcasting. As I said in the interview, it is one of the most rewarding things that I've ever done in my professional career. Also, uh, if you're on iTunes, please do go over there and give us a rating and review. You can do that by visiting socialmediaexaminer.com slash iTunes. Well, this does bring us to the end of yet another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you next week. I hope you make the absolute best out of your day and may social media continue to change your world.